This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpy. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 19th, 2021. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's been a good week. I could tell you a little bit. But first, let me wish you a happy Father's Day ahead of time. Neither of us is a father that I know of. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll get a random Father's Day card. I would be very surprised. Very surprised. Uh, Hey, I just found out last night, Walmart sells Father's Day cards in packs of five. Well... That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose uh, the type of person who obsessively writes Christmas cards for everybody they've ever met might attempt to do the same for every father they've met. Um, I I counted up to two you might want to send. One to your dad and maybe one to your granddad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, But hey, today marks another uh, special occasion. Today is a national holiday, I believe, if if the press is to be believed. So a happy Juneteenth to you, Daddy Warpig. Yes, if I was Texan, I'd be all kinds of excited. Hey, this this is how we work. We take... Holidays that were not heard of outside of one state until a year or two ago. And we turned them into national holidays. Oh, Simon Hogwood pointed out in the chat that uh, you have two granddads. So that's three cards right there you could reasonably say. Three cards. Uh, yeah, Jackson Anderson points out there's also the father-in-law. So, father-in-law, I guess you could stretch that to four. There you go. Who's the fifth? I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm baffled. I'm befuddled. <laughs> I'm I'm just I cannot conceive. So happy Juneteenth, all you Texans who gave your your holiday to the nation. Happy Juneteenth. Um, let's say hey to everyone. Chat live. Hey, thanks for for joining us. I know we're uh, a few minutes late. Uh, Rawl, good to see you. Simon Hogwood here late. early. Uh, Ardenon Studios, good to see you. Matthew Martin, Brad Walker, hello. Jackson Anderson, hello. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, what's going on? Fiona Wolf uh, got her dad a brown derby cake and a steam card for Father's Day. As the family who games together uh, stays together, or who plays together stays together. Love it. Oh, uh, we got the we got the fifth one. It's the Godfather. Did you say hi to? Oh, I can never pronounce his name right. 
Raw. Raw? Raleigh? Yes. Raw was number yeah. one. Oh, wow. You're ahead of me. You know what I just pulled right there? I just pulled a Joe Biden. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking an old man moment, but I think Joe Biden is the epitome, the uh, the old man no, um, no, no, no. incarnate moment. Literally, literally at G7, uh, Boris, the prime minister of England, was introducing all these nations that at the very end, Joe Biden says, and don't forget, I think it was China or something, and everybody in the room laughed at him because they'd already announced China. Oh. So that was just last week. I, I am literally pulling a Joe Biden. That's not figurative. That's not a, some free-floating insult. That was literally a literal moment that literally happened in the real world last week. I was very specific about my reference. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've been avoiding the news for that reason. Um, uh, but we should listen to Matthew Martin and stop with the uh, real world politics talk. Real world stuff. Hey, I've got lots of other good news about this week. On Tuesday, on this very channel, um, Brian Niemeyer finished up the retrospective playthrough of Final Fantasy IV on his old Super Nintendo. And uh, Ardenon and myself joined him in the chat. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, that, that particular final episode was one of the most fun. And the whole process, uh, even though it stretched into something like 19 episodes, was... Uh, it was great for me, and uh, a lot of folks in the chat loved it. So I recommend if you like old school game playthroughs or you miss having Brian Niemeyer co-host the show, go back and watch some of those episodes. Uh, you'll learn a little bit about the game. Um, lots of great banter with uh, me and Brian, and we had... A few guest spots. Catholic Lancer joined us when he could. Ardenon joined us when he could. Uh, it was all good. Really good how stuff. Did he, how did he broadcast from his Nintendo to the to the channel? These uh, well, he used a device to capture video and audio from the Super Nintendo on his computer, and there's there's a software that is made for capturing that kind of video. And uh, of course, by now in the, uh, now that streaming and live play is, is a fairly mature, or is a maturing um, entertainment form, the software sets everything up for them. It, we, it, we took a couple of tries. There's, there's a few hours over a few, over three or four sessions of us figuring out all the technical details of the things, but uh, capture card with the right software. Um, he was able to redirect all the conversation through discord and we, the guests could even watch his live stream. So we were following the game in his time and could comment on what we were seeing on the screen and what he was doing in real time. 
as opposed to watching the 30 second delay on YouTube. Uh, it works. It worked beautifully. Once you get everything set up, great system. Uh, and it was a, it was a legit, he's playing Super Nintendo on a CRT. He's just capturing the audio video and simultaneously uh, broadcasting them all over YouTube. Sweet. Uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed because I've never done anything like that. Uh, for me, it's real easy. I play exclusively em emulators these days, so I can, you know, that's easy. You're just streaming whatever audio and videos on your, you know, coming from your PC. Um, but the capture card worked flawlessly. I recommend going back and, and watching some of that. Um, if you like old school games, uh, or if, if you're a particular fan of the series, check it out. If, uh, if you just like hanging out, if you like more geek gab, you can get more geek, geek gab that way. Um, let's see what else this week. Oh, on a on a personal note, I've uh, been getting back to my technical reading. Um, I haven't done much programming in the past year, so uh, I have I have built up what they call technical debt. And learning about uh, you may you may be surprised, but uh, Microsoft is still constantly iterating on and improving its language and application programming interfaces. Yeah, Fiona Wolf, uh, lots of great writing advice. We got a lot, lot, lots of the Pulp Rev guys came in and had to ask Brian all sorts of questions. So I've just been catching up on my technical so in addition to In addition to updating, you know, all the standard APIs from Windows 10, uh, Windows 11 is on the horizon. Where'd you hear that? Uh, they just announced it last week. I'm a bit behind on announcements from the company I work for. They're They are literally literally releasing Windows 11 soon. I think before the end of the year soon. It's interesting that they chose to name it Windows 11. I, I, they don't plan on doing a major redo, but maybe there's been enough changes that they're big enough changes that they're increasing the um, major version number. Uh, the idea behind Windows 10 was that they would never need a new version, that they would just uh, continue to update Windows 10. Oh, Jackson Anderson says that was a joke leak. Maybe. All the people I saw talking about it were taking it really seriously. Well, it's the internet. Everything's a joke on the internet. I don't believe anything I read on the internet um, anymore. Except for, for Rawls typed on the internet, get an editor, yep. That's that's the main advice everybody got. Um, I heard of Windows. Jackson Anderson had to dive through technical debt. Hey, um, put me in a weird... I, I'm one of those weird people. I don't... I like working on technical debt. I like the satisfaction... I get from knowing, okay, 
not only is this project done, but all of our processes are running more smoothly. We've got, you know, we've got efficient code and, and services and everything. I love that. <laughs> Not sure if I could handle Windows going to 11. Well said. Um, yeah, actually, I've, I've watched a lot of pressers in the last couple of weeks. Um, Apple had its Worldwide Developers Con Conference keynote. I watched that. Uh, I watched the Xbox presser or the Microsoft presser at E3. I watched Ubisoft, Gearbox uh, at E3. Um, so I spent some time keeping up on things that are going on or not. Um, you want to tell me more? Gearbox's presser was the most amusing, but not deliberately. I just have to say this. Uh, the Microsoft presser was basically 30 uh, trailers for games that are coming out between now and the end of the year. Um, so they're games that are on the verge of release. They're almost finished. Uh, they're not like, you know... Well, I guess some of them are coming out next year, but uh, Stalker 2 uh, is coming out. Um, Halo Infinite is coming out fall this year. Uh, you know, I just hope that doesn't suck. Um, and primarily, I hope it doesn't suck so it gets popular again, so they actually release... Uh, some other spaceship models again because they're real hard to find and real expensive if you do find them um they got a free expansion for sea of thieves uh that fits in with the pirates of the caribbean uh so jack sparrow and his crew are now characters in Sea of Thieves. It's a free expansion. You don't have to pay for it. Hmm. Um, so if you play Sea of Thieves, that's uh, that's worth it. Um, and like 27 of the games are available on Microsoft Game Pass day of release. So they're really trying to push the Game Pass, uh, which I understand. I mean, if you get a couple million gamers or 10, 20 million gamers spending 15 bucks a month in perpetuity, that's some real solid guaranteed income. And if you keep on putting decent games out uh then they'll you know you keep can keep on earning that over and over again so the microsoft presser was solid in the fact that they just kept talking about game releases that are upcoming they didn't throw you know 
a bunch of frippery up against the wall, like uh, cable TV or all that other crap that uh, uh, that skinny geeks talked about when they first talked about the uh, Xbox One. Um, they just talked about the games for the uh, Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S, which I think was still the stupidest name they could have given this generation of boxes. Um, Gearbox spent most of its presser uh, talking about the Borderlands movie. Literally on the set of the Borderlands movie, but completely blocked off from anything interesting you might see. Like they were on the set, but everything was covered with this white plastic, so you couldn't see anything. And Eli Roth, uh, who is the bear Jew from uh, Inglorious Bastards, but also he's... Uh, He's a director who's made a lot of movies that are fairly popular. Um, he made the recent uh, remake of uh, with Bruce Willis uh, of the Death Wish. Um, he's made a lot of, you know, torture porn horror movies and. Uh, He's directing the Borderlands movie. It's got Kevin Hart in it. Um, so Randy Pitchford, the head of Gearbox Studio, possibly the most corrupt man in gaming today, the person who gifted us with Colonial Marines, Aliens Colonial Marines, infamously broken infamously broken because of a single typo in a configuration file. <laughs> um, which never got patched on the consoles. You can patch it yourself on the PC because you can use a text editor to go in and edit the config file. Uh, but you can't do crap on a console to fix it. Um, Randy Pitchford was going around interviewing Eli Roth and just talked all over him. And Eli Roth is standing there like nonplus as Randy's just rambling and rambling and rambling. And it was just hilarious to watch this chubby, goofy looking guy asked a question and then didn't even let him get through half the answer before he interrupted him and just talked all over him for a minute or two. My so goodness. then he goes outside. He goes outside to Kevin Hart's trailer. Uh, if you guys saw the Jumanji movies, Kevin Hart's the short little guy. Or uh, the CIA movie with The Rock, where The Rock's the big guy, Kevin Hart's his little high school yeah. uh, dude. Um, he's a comedian. 
In internet parlance, he is a so man. He's a manlet. He's a stand-up comedian. He he does a bunch of movies. Uh, has a real, you know, high-pitched kind of squeaky voice. So Randy Pitchford goes out to his trailer, literally his star trailer on set, right? Probably finally appointed inside with luxury, because that's what trailers are for. They rent for the stars. And uh, Kevin Hart was the person who got behind this movie and pushed it and got it made. He got it off the ground. He knocks on the trailer and Kevin Hart comes out. And he does the same thing. He asks Kevin Hart a question. And he talks for a little bit. Then Randy Pitchford starts talking all over him. And Kevin Hart is just standing there looking up at him. Like, what the hell are you doing? Uh. So that's why the gearbox presser was so hilarious is... It was just funny watching these guys getting kind of steamed at Randy Pitchford and Randy Pitchford having no idea they're getting steamed at him. He's just completely like lost, oblivious to what's going on, and they're all angry. That is hilarious. It was. It was funny as heck, and it made it made. Uh, honestly, that's the only thing that made their presser worth watching. Um, they also announced uh, a new game coming out. Uh, there was an expansion for I think it was Borderlands Two. It was Tiny Tina's Dragon something or other horde or whatever. It was Tiny Tiny Tina running a D&D session for the rest of the player characters. Um, oh, so they what took is, that. What is this Tiny Tina? I, I saw a trailer for a, a new game. Yeah, that was the game. Tiny Tina is a character from the Borderlands series. I find her amusing. Oh. Uh, and other people find her obnoxious. I find her amusing because she's obnoxious, and so do a bunch of other people. Other people really get weird into the, like, liking her. I just find her amusing. Uh, and mainly she's amusing in small doses. Which is fine, because in Borderlands 2 and in Borderlands, you can go the other way if you're sick of her. You can go do something else. Uh, so she's basically amusing in small doses. You don't want to sit there for 20 you know, hours and listen to her. Because she really gets on your nerves uh, that long. But they made a whole new game of... Uh, Borderlands in a medieval fantasy world. 
that's all run by Tiny, tiny Tina. So I think you're going to get 40 hours of Tiny Tina. Oof. Which I think is going to be too much. Uh, if uh, I saw part of the presser, I'm, I maybe I'm reading between the lines more than this there, but is Tiny Tina just a character they made up to give Ashley Birch some work? I, I don't know. Maybe. But she is actually genuinely amusing. Oh, okay. Because I would find that she's, kind of character grating. Uh, yeah, probably. I could see that. She's funny. Uh, and after he turned the old fat guy with the beard who runs his uh, gun shops into a psycho instead of a funny guy, uh, she's like one of the last funny characters left in Borderlands. One of the last genuinely funny characters left in Borderlands. And that was Borderlands. Fallout. That it was entertaining. Fallout. Yeah. Or that it was, that funny. It, it was they funny. Had funny psychotic characters. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Scooter. See, Scooter's funny. Kind of funny, psychotic. Uh, Scooter's funny. Scooter's sister. Uh, whose name I forget, but she's the big, huge uh, lady. Big, fat lady. She's funny, psychotic. Um, I mean, that was the point of Pandora, is everybody on it is funny, psychotic. Um, yeah, you're not definitely not supposed to take and, uh, the people there seriously. No, 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 no. Um but they, they kind of drained away some of the funny in Borderlands 2 and drained away a lot of the funny in Borderlands 3. Uh, and it, it's been an epidemic in the games industry. Like Fallout 4 drained away a lot of the amusement value from NPCs. Uh, I sent a link to a Key and Peel sketch last night where this, you know, one of those grim, dour, post-apocalyptic characters runs into basically a NPC from Fallout 3. Um, if you remember those crazy NPCs from Fallout 3, uh, the clown shoes guy from down on the river uh, in the hotel, the guy who calls you clown shoes, the Russian, or uh, the dude from the Republic of Dave, or... You know, that crazy lady who runs the Nuka-Cola Museum. Um, uh, they have a lot of funny NPCs in Fallout 3. Uh, and they have NPCs who aren't. NPCs who are just deadly. Um, the vampire dudes are always funny. Um they taught me what coveting was, the vampire guys. 
because as soon as I walked in their place and I found out there were vampires, I wanted to kill all of them and then take all their stuff because they had a lot of stuff. Uh, um, but yeah, it uh, it's a funny Key and Peel sketch. It's about a minute and a half long. I posted it on all my accounts uh, under the title. You know, when you run into a Fallout NPC in the post-apocalypse. So, watch it. It was hilarious, I thought. I benefit nothing from that link except for people finding it funny and and just enjoying it. So, check that out. Cool. Uh, Gearbox Presser. Ubisoft Presser. Uh, they're coming out with a new Tom Clancy... I thought this was hilarious. Most of their presser was Kumbaya. Literally could have been them singing Kumbaya and the message wouldn't have changed. Um, them talking about how awesome it is to work at Ubisoft and, and how Ubisoft welcomes a vast array of diverse, whatever that, uh, whatever that disclaimer at the beginning of, uh, the Assassin's Creed games is we have a vast array of oh yeah yeah a, a, a diverse different. array of something yeah uh, that's what most of their presser was weird um, and uh, they're having a new Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six now the Tom Clancy brand name when they bought it, especially Rainbow Six, the brand name of Rainbow Six stood in for brutal, lethal, real-world anti-terrorist action. Where if you got shot once, you got messed up and probably got dead. Tom Clancy. Brutal, realistic, real-world action. So they've got a new Tom Clancy Rainbow Siege coming out. And guess what it's about? Uh, aliens. You're fighting alien goo. Like Venom. Wait, I was right? You're fighting an invasion of Venom. It's. I don't know what to say. It's uh. It might actually be a fun game. I have no idea if they've gone more action with it, so you can get shot. You know, multiple times, or I don't know if you have your healing stuff. I don't know if it's a cover base shooter. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but. Uh, yeah. It's uh they're basically taking all the gameplay that has proven popular from the you know, Rainbow Six Siege was a complete disaster on launch, so they scrambled and remade the entire game. Um and then uh 
the remade game has turned out to be really popular. And so they've kept it running for, I think it's four or five years now. Uh, I'm sure someone in the chat can correct me. Um, Bradford Walker says four Left 4 Dead clones got airtime this year at E3, four of them, uh, including one that is actually made by the Left 4 Dead team. That's in pre-order right now. And if you want to buy the one with the season pass, add it on. It's not $69. It's $99. So. Hey, hey, I've never played a lot Left of for Dead. What's, what's the significance of that? Uh, it's a really popular zombie survival game. It's It was basically Counter-Strike, but with zombies. All right. Um, and uh, you could play as special zombies, uh, as Yahtzee Croshaw put it, where, wherein it becomes a hilarious griefing engine. Uh, because your job is playing as zombies is to, you know wipe out the player characters right to attack them jump on them beat on them and stop them from making it to the safe room by killing them that sounds like um, it would be my preferred way to play uh, apparently it's a hell of a lot of fun to play as the zombies me and my brother played uh left for dead one against you know just straight uh with a couple of bots filling out the other two. There's four player characters, hence left four dead. Oh, I get it. Very clever. And you could fill them up with, you could fill them up with players, uh, humans, or you could fill them up with um, bots. So you could literally play it solo and play through a campaign, or you could play it with, uh, you know, two people over the internet, which me and my brother did a lot. We played a lot of Left 4 Dead. Um, so that's what Left 4 Dead is. But anyways, Rainbow Six, this new Rainbow Six game is taking the gameplay of Rainbow Six Siege and modifying it in ways that apparently, you know, they thought were good or that the community requested they're adding a new game mode where you're leveling up your character if you get killed on one of the raids against the aliens. Um, then your team has to get together and go rescue you before you uh, are converted or died by the aliens' hands. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it didn't look that bad, the game. I just, I just found the whole violation of the Tom Clancy brand name and the Rainbow Six brand name to be really hilarious. Because Ubisoft has been acting like they're the defenders of, you know, they're the carriers of the torch of the Tom Clancy heritage. They are 
They are the purists keeping Tom Clancy's name alive in a world that would rape his corpse and befoul his noble name. And now they're just selling out like everybody else. <laughs> Turns out um, when you have to make money and sell product, you fall back on what works. So I'm not angry about it or anything. I'm not offended. I just thought it was funny. Um, they might have announced other games. I don't. That's all I remember from it is Alien Goop. Uh, oh yeah, they they also re-announced Far Cry Six, which is set in a tin pot. Central American dictatorship, which unlike every other tin pot Central American dictatorship for the last 50 years, uh, is a fascist dictatorship, not a communist dictatorship. And the heroic bad guys, uh, the heroic people overthrowing the dictatorship are communists. Although I suspect, given what happened the last time, uh, with Far Cry 4, the heroes overthrowing dictatorship might actually turn out to be scumbags, too. So it might just be a feint that they're throwing out in the commercials, and you, you might actually have to turn against the freedom fighters because they turn out to be as big a scumbag as the people you're trying to overthrow. It's got one that. Harlow Esposito in it, um, who apparently has a contract now where he gets to play all the bad guys. After uh, after Breaking Bad, he just gets to play all the bad guys ever. Well, yeah. Uh, so he showed up in a revolution as the bad guy. Um I'm probably the only person in the world who remembers that show. Yes. But then he showed up in uh, he showed up in The Mandalorian as the bad guy. Um, Far Cry Six is the bad guy, and I remember a couple of other TV shows having him in it that I don't remember the show, but he was the bad guy in them. So. You know, power to him. Um, it used to be that kid from the Third Rock from the Sun. He used to be in all the movies. Now it's Juan Carlos Esposito. So, you know, make cave on the sunshine. That's what I say. You mean my boy, JGL? That's all I remember. Well... Uh, that's way more interesting than I thought uh, anything related to E3 could be, so good on you. <laughs> I pulled out all the interesting bits and threw them at you. <laughs> I actually uh, I, did enjoy the Xbox presser because it was a minimum of jerks talking and it was a maximum of trailers, and most of them were entertaining. Thank uh -huh.
Well, it's something at least. The Forza Motorsports trailer was actually really good. Forza Motorsports? Oh, yeah, Forza. That's the Xbox flagship racing game. Yes. And they have, like, Forza Racing, which is their, like, legit racing, hardcore racing uh, franchise. That's the one where you can set up, like, three Xboxes and three monitors, four Xboxes and four monitors. You have one behind you for a rear view mirror and then three of them around you for, you know, uh, front and side views. And you can have the full fancy pedal and wheel set up. And, you know, it's it's got specific shaders and stuff for uh, detail that is insane. For when you run into someone. That's Forza Racing. That's the like top of the line. In your face competitor to the Sony. Whichever one is the Sony racing game. Which I can't remember now. The name. Need for Speed? No, 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 no. They're like high, high, high end. Prestige. Uh, racing game. Someone's gonna uh, Gran Turismo. Yeah, Gran Turismo. Okay. Yeah, that's the direct head-to-head competitor to Gran Turismo. Although it's it is obviously not as well selling as Gran Turismo, but in terms of technical details and graphical fidelity and absolute beauty. It is a head-to-head competitor with Gran Turismo. Uh, and then Forza Motorsport is their, like, off-road, uh, you know, fun, fun, fun in the sun every other year release. So they release Forza Racing every other year and Forza Motorsports every other year. Um, gotcha. And Forza Motorsports is... Uh, you know, it's got race cars, but they're they're uh, generally off-roady. And uh, this year, it's uh, all in Mexico, and it's an open world. And uh, so they had to, they had a good showcase. Instead of just a trailer, they had people actually doing racing in engine and showing you what was coming, things like that. It was entertaining people doing it were actually good people to do it and it was entertaining i was happy they kept me entertained enough to continue watching it so that's high praise coming from me (laughs) (laughs) that's a high bar these days uh speaking of continuing i did not spit at the screen speaking of continuing watching and being entertained uh, you mentioned uh, you wanted you watched a new show to you as well. Oh yeah, the magicians. I I may have only ended up watching this for the show because 
the magicians was, you know, a bunch of good ideas that was thoroughly wasted on this show. That would be my tagline for the review. A bunch oh. of good ideas wasted on this show. It just, it's got a, it's got a great setup. You know, the promo poster says all magic comes at a cost. Yeah, well, the cost is mostly miserable bastard characters being miserably bastardy and It's like this weight on my chest. To even talk about it is like, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I, I want to roll this boulder off my... Um, and I've had this reaction before, you know? Uh, I just want to push it out there because I have a responsibility gall dang it once we've mentioned it in the promo in the name of the show and it's our picture I am obligated to give you guys a review of the show the show goes out of its way to make you feel depressed the writers of the show it's like they want you to come away from the show feeling crappy. So good. It's like they want to bludgeon you with depressing crap. It's a downer. Everything about it's a downer. They've forgotten how to do joy and happiness. Well, tell me a little bit more uh, about the show. Like, but I mean, it's called The Magicians, but what's it really about? It's about a bunch of miserable assholes um, who go to a college for magic called Brinkville's. Um, and it's like the person who wrote the books the show is based on. Um, just, yeah, Judd Goswick in the chat said it's basically if Hogwarts was a New York elitist grad school. It's a... Uh, So all the characters are magicians in uh, their, but they're college age magicians. Yeah. They're not just college age. They're not 18 or something. They're 20 somethings who have gone and graduated for uh, gotten bachelor's degrees that are going to this grad school for magicians. Uh, the school contacts you, brings you in for a entrance exam and then says, based on this entrance exam, they decide whether or not you can come and learn magic at the school. And if you can't, if, you're, if they decide you're not break Bill's material, they wipe your memory and let you loose into the world. All right. 
Um, my brain is shot. And I will not lie, it's because I have a gargantuan migraine that I've been wrestling with all month. Um, and I'm trying to get a run-up at the material to give you guys a, a real feel for it. So let me start by saying this. In this world, there is a series of books called Fillery and Further. Fillery is a thinly veiled equivalent to Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe books by C.S. Lewis. So the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, um, uh, Boy and His Horse, uh, so on and so forth. There's two more books. Um, only in this world, Narnia is a grim, dark fantasy world, and the books are all made up. And C.S. Lewis is a pedophile. What? Oh, yeah. Who was violating the, the kids in the Narnia books were real kids in Germany during World War II. They really existed in this world, in the real world, in Earth. And he was violating one of the children and taking pictures of him um, and this is all stuff you find out in the first season and you're going to say, Hey, you're spoiling it. And I'm like, yeah. So, so what? I don't care. <laughs> um, no sorry, one should no ever watch this show. show. Um, And the one of the kids. So, so this is the first season. Is all these, all this and more happens the first season. Um. And it does not get better from there. the bad stuff just keeps accumulating from there. So when I say this TV show is depressing and it wants to make you feel depressed, you've got to understand how literal and how far it goes to 
make that happen. It's based on a series of books. And I don't think it follows the books very closely, but a lot of that stuff is in the original books. So when you wonder, hey, what do you mean when you say it, it tries to make you feel depressed? Well, Narnia is a bloody and horrible place in truth. It is not a fun fantasy kingdom. Uh, it's where only Earth people can come and rule the kingdom. And they have for thousands of years. And they've made it a living hellhole by their ineptness and incompetence. And they've tormented the people who live in Narnia. And the people who live in Narnia hate earthlings because of it. And C.S. Lewis lied in all the books because even though Narnia is real, all the novels are mostly fake. And C.S. Lewis was a pedophile. That's how far it goes to make you depressed and further. So. Gotcha. That sounds like a terrible idea for a story. Yes. There are good ideas in the series. Interesting, cool fantasy ideas. Uh, like a boat that's made from living trees so that it itself is alive and can think and can act on its own. That's a oh, cool sure, that's idea. A idea. Maybe that shows up in other books i don't know um but then they even make that horrible because it turns out that these living trees or these living boats can mate with one another but they can only mate by involuntary mating <laughs> where a male boat forces himself on a female boat they can't voluntarily choose to mate it has to be that's absurd ah the rape yes. boats of narnia takes me back to my childhood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, every good idea is linked to an absolutely horrible idea. They need a lot of magical energy 
to accomplish something. Um, and turns out that if you that gods can give you a lot of magical energy. But the only way to get it is by having sex with a god. The, uh, the Zeus model? Yes. But it gets worse. The character who has the potential, the only character who can survive having this much energy in them, uh, they uh, are not willing to have sex with God because they were sexually assaulted by a God earlier in the series. <laughs> so... No, no, I'm not done. <laughs> it's supposed to be bad, but I'm laughing because it's so absurd. It is. It, it's so bad. It's ludicrously bad. It's like beyond bad. So they won't copulate with a god. So the god provides them with his godly essence. That would have been transferred during the act. And she drinks it. Okay. His godly baby juice. Yeah, I, uh, semen, you're talking about semen. So, now I am giving you the peak awfulness in the series. These are the absolute peak moments of awfulness. But the rest of it is just grindingly grim and mediocre awfulness. It's like it doesn't reach that peak awfulness. It's just kind of awful. Oh, that depresses me. It is depressing. You're just depressed hearing about it. Imagine what it's like to watch five seasons of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure who's actually watching any of this. How did it get what, uh, five seasons? More they canceled the show. Well, yeah. Five seasons on the Sci-Fi Channel.
So I don't know. Um good enough for me. Is there anything else you want to tell me about this awful show? Yeah, I'm done. I'm no, there's no more awfulness. I, I have I have pulled all the awful out of my memory that I'm going to. I will say this. Um, somebody who was working on this show in a technical capacity was absolutely a mad, brilliant genius when it came to devising uh, somatic or gesture components for spells. The form of magic that the magicians use all require gestures. And the person who somebody sat down and made very, very specific gestures for each different spell. And they are very detailed and they are very specific and they are very different for every spell. And they pantomime the effects of the spell. Huh. So when a girl is ripping off cash from an ATM, her gestures mimic pulling money uh, you know, pulling money out of the ATM, not punching numbers, but physically yanking the bills through the slot um, or having the slot disgorge the bills. Uh, they cast the spell to cause a tree to grow and the gestures mimicked having a seed in the ground and then the tree sprouting out of the ground. Um, they had a spell that was a combat spell uh, that slashed, caused big gashes to appear in the target, and the spell mimicked that. All of the gestures for the spells on this show were brilliantly done, impeccably done. Um, and it was genius watching them. I don't know who devised them. I haven't gone looking for a behind the scenes on the magical gestures. But this is the only place I've seen that has gone into that much detail. Um, and that much differentiation. They didn't just leave it up to the actors to come up with these waffling things that were very inexact and just kind of, you know, sloppily done. Somebody came up with precise gestures and they drilled the actors on them to where they had practiced these before they shot the scenes. Oh. Um, so it's not like the show is slapped together. They did brilliantly on the special effects. Um, 
there was a lot of work done on the scripts and a lot of the dialogue was actually above par. Some of it wasn't. Um, they just did such horrible, horrible things in the show. So yeah, your complaints they wasted are, the potential the they had. Your 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 complaints are with the story and the script, not necessarily the execution of the show. Yeah, I mean, on a technical level, they they did everything right. Um, I hated all the characters, but the actors did good performances. I mean, I know this is damning with faint praise, but again, like so much in the modern world, the technical details were great. The performances were great. Special effects were great. Uh, the music uh, was fine. I didn't notice it, which means it did its job. Um, sets all matched. Uh, Bright Bills felt like a real college and a real magical college. Um, Even the characters had their moments of likability and um, and moments when they worked. And, and the characters followed their characterization. There weren't times when the characters acted stupid or times where real people would or could act stupid in that same situation. They weren't acting stupid just for the sake of the script. Um, gotcha. So it, it it was sad that they put so much squalor. That's the word I was looking for. It's squalid, grimy, filthy, disgusting. It, it just wallowed in grossness instead of being worthwhile. And it's sad because they squandered a lot of could have been great stuff. Well, I'll put that on my never even consider watching list then. Yeah. All right. I would not blame you. I would not recommend the show. Uh, let's see what chat has to say about it. Uh, point of it all is to drag classic literature through the mud and nothing more, according to Rawl. I suppose uh, someone with a hexadecimal name says, what a shame to put such a good, such a good detail in such bilge. I think he's talking about your, the, uh, direction and the consistency on gestures. Uh, Jed Goswick lets us know the show hired a hand dancer to make the spells. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, all right, nobody watch it. I, I ran out of stuff to uh, talk about today. That's magicians for you. Daddy Warpig, anything else on your mind? Uh, I added a couple of spaceships to my collection this month. Uh, 
I got a Mattel titanium version of a, a TIE Interceptor, so it's big and die cast now. Um, extortionate price on eBay on that one. And I found a $6 model of the Rosinante from The Expanse and a little diorama. Uh, and because it was um, Amazon Prime, the shipping was free. So that was real cheap. And it's kind of a cool looking spaceship. I hope to be able to add The Expanse to my watching list. Right now, again, I may have said this last time, I'm watching Battlestar Galactica 2004, Buck Rogers 79, and uh, Space 1999. Oh, we should talk about those. Uh, uh, and I hope to get in the next couple of weeks. Oh, and I'm also watching Loki. So when that's done, I'll have a review of that too. Um, but and uh, I'm hoping next month to buy uh, a diecast model of the Eagle Lander from Space 1999. Righteous. Uh, and I'm reading a bunch of John Birmingham books. John Birmingham. I don't know why, but I uh, I enjoy his writing style. He's not, you know, my tippy top of the pile as far as authors go, but I'm enjoying his books. Uh, and I have unfortunately realized I bought the number one of uh, most of his series and maybe all of his series. And I keep on having to stop because I don't have number two and three of his trilogies. It's kind of annoying. And it's all my fault because I'm the one who did it to myself. My thinking at the time was, well, I'll see if I like this series first before I buy everything. And so I have literally like five number ones and no number twos and threes of, of five series that I'm just reading through. Hmm. Oh, Lummy. Well, thanks for the update. I'd, I'd love to hear more about those uh, sci-fi shows in future weeks. But in the meantime, I think I, we're done for today. Yeah, I really do need to talk about John Birmingham when I finish up his books. That'd be unusual for us because we very rarely do book reviews. Yeah, good point. Uh, well, yeah, uh, maybe I'll catch up with Loki and we can talk about that sometime soon. It's your turn, well, man. It's your turn to say goodbye. And Yeah, I was, about to, I was about to make sure that you were ready for that. Are you ready to say goodbye for the week, Daddy? We're big. Yeah. <laughs> Parting such sweet sorrow. But uh, I do appreciate everybody hanging out and listening. I uh, had a good show today. Thanks for uh, being an awesome host, Eddie Warpig. Um, uh, goodbye to everybody in chat. I hope everybody listening later really enjoyed our, our talk about E3 and the magicians. Uh, and don't watch any of it. Uh, Daddy Warpig watches these things, so you don't have to. But this is, uh, I'm John signing off for this week. Uh, another reminder right before we go, go check out Brian's retrospective on the Geek Gab channel. Uh, anyway, have a great weekend, everyone. 
happy Juneteenth and happy Father's Day. Um, all right, folks. I want to thank everybody who uh, turned in and listened live. Uh, we had, uh, as always, a lively chat. And uh, when I was in the middle of my mental funk for the magicians trying to get that off the ground and off my chest, I lost track of the chat. So I'm going to have to go back and read that later myself. Um, but what I did catch was, of course, interesting. We, uh, we have the most intelligent and sexually attractive audience in the world. The millions of screaming fans of GigGab. We thank you all for tuning in, uh, and we thank everyone who's going to listen later. You can catch us, by the way, on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also listen to us on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and soundcloud.com. Just do a search for geekgab. We are available on all those places. Pardon me while I pause just mere moment for a sip of water. Glug. My mouth is unusually dry at this moment. Um, and uh, I just want to say um, thanks to everybody who keeps on coming back to the show despite our um, missing weeks lately. We are definitely trying to get shows out every week, but something just keeps on coming up. Uh, we are, however, working hard to get these shows put out for you, our audience. Uh, and I will be honest, that is one of the only reasons that we keep on doing these shows, because we know there are people who actually love their show, and we want to put something out there for you. Um, and that's actually the only reason I watched the Ubisoft and Gearbox pressers this week is I thought, you know what? Um, we've got shows. Uh, we're going to do a show next week, and I want to have something to talk about to uh, give over. So thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.